Today, we're continuing to talk about our sermon series as we walk through what do we believe. Essentially, we're walking through our, uh, our statement of faith and what does that look like for us as a church and how does that impact us as we, too, seek to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? What does that look like? And how does it affect us as well? And then as we continue to do that, we're going to be talking about what we believe about humanity, sin, and salvation. So pray for me, because that's three sermons again that we're going to do in uh, 30 minutes-ish. Probably not, but we're going to try. But let me pray as we continue to worship our awesome God. Father God, we just thank you so much for who you are and what you have done for us through your son Jesus Christ. As these songs and the scriptures that have reminded us, Lord, uh, we are totally depraved and we are in desperate need of your saving grace. So Lord, I thank you for Jesus, your son, whom you sent for us, who who grew up as a baby, uh, who was born of the Virgin Mary, who grew up, who died an agonizing death on the cross, uh, who took our punishment, who died, was buried, and three days later rose again. Lord, we thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we continue to worship you and praise your name, Lord, I pray that I would preach so that you are glorified. And God, I can't do this on my own, so God, will you make this turn out well? So by your spirit, Lord, help me to preach this sermon with necessary power and appropriate affection. Lord, please use this sermon to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. And amen. In our statement of faith, as I was saying, we have two statements that describe what we believe about humanity and what we believe about salvation. So let's walk with me as we walk this through, as we see what the Bible talks about, because as we have experienced our first thing, the first statement that we have is that we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. And because the Bible is the Word of God, that means that we do not have to guess. It is the Word of God. And we took a look at who God is, because as the Bible reveals, God it reveals who God is, because it is His Word. And last week, Pastor Matt had the opportunity to show us of our future hope of those who believe in Jesus Christ, because we have a hope. But as we continue on, the Bible does have some things to say about who we are as humans, as humanity, and sin, and salvation. What do we believe about humanity, you may ask? First off this, we believe that humanity was divinely created in the image of God. This is important. I don't think it's something we talk about a lot. Sometimes we say, oh yeah, we believe in the image of God, but what does that mean? What does that look like? In Genesis 1, verse 26, it clearly says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. So why would God create humanity then? So if we were creating the image of God, let me ask this one other question before we get into what does it mean to be made in the image of God and in his likeness. Why would God even do it? And simply said, as Isaiah 43, 7, we'll get, we'll get to, it says, we were created for his glory. God didn't need us, okay? 
If anyone ever tells you that God needed you, he didn't need you. That means that we just talked about this when we were looking at the characteristics of who God is. If God is self-sufficient, that means he's self-sufficient. It means he doesn't need anything. Which means that God didn't create you because he needed you, but to bring glory to his name. He didn't create us because he was longingly or needed fellowship with others. That's why we have the Trinity. He had a perfect relationship with each other. Imagine having, like even in a marriage, if it is the best of marriages, there's still strife, right? Like you should be shaking your heads up and down like, yeah, okay? Because if you're not, you're lying to yourself. The Trinity is perfect, perfect. He didn't need fellowship. He had fellowship with each other. God didn't need us for any reason. Remember back to when we were talking about God and and we saw that he is independent. So why in the world did God come and create a bunch of misfits like us? Isaiah 43, 7, it says, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Ephesians 1, 11 to 12 goes on. It says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose uh, of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. See, God created us for his glory. That's the first thing. What do we believe about humanity? We believe that humanity was created for God's glory. And you might say to yourself, well, that's kind of selfish, don't you think? But think about this. The fact that we were created for God's glory guarantees that our lives are significant. When we begin to see that God didn't need to create us and doesn't need us for anything, it's pretty easy to go down this road of thinking that our, our lives have no importance at all. But think about this. But the Bible tells us that we were created to glorify God, which shows that we are important to God himself. We were created in the image of God. We were created for his glory. Think of, it, uh, in, in, in this, think of it in terms of this question. If we are truly important to God for all eternity, then what greater measure of importance or significance could we want? I can't think of anything. This is the final definition of a genuine importance and significance of our lives. God created humanity for his glory, which shows that we are important to God himself. Don't, you see how it's easy. If I don't ever think about what it means to be made in the image of God, I'm actually missing out on why my life is so significant. This also ties to our purpose. See, God has taken glory to himself. How did he how, how did he rob glory? Who did he rob glory from? Is there anyone who deserves glory more than he does? Absolutely not. That would be called idolatry. He is creator. He made all things, and he deserves all glory. He is worthy of receiving glory. Man may not seek glory for himself, but in this case, what is wrong for man is right for God. Because he is the creator, not me. 
It is right, not wrong, that he be glorified. In fact, if he did not receive glory from all creatures in the universe, that would be horribly wrong. The 24 elders that surround God's throne in Revelation 4 continually singing, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. That's going to be an amazing scene. When we begin to appreciate the nature of God as the infinitely perfect creator who deserves all praise, then our hearts will not rest until we give him glory with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. That is, that is what this means. We will quickly see that he deserves it all. God created us for his glory. But as we thought, thought about that, as we think about that, let's go back. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Because we were created in his image. Out of all of the creatures God made, only one creature, humanity, is said to be made in the image of God. Have you ever thought about that? Think about all of the crazy-looking animals out there. One of my kids' favorite animals is the platypus. It's the funniest-looking thing in the world, right? Like, it's a beaver with a beak and a... It's funny. But that thing was not made in the image of God. Humanity was. You and I were. Of all creatures God made, there is only one made in the image of God. And what does this mean? It means that you and I are like God and represent God. How are we like God? We're not gods. We are like God. In order to understand that question, to really understand what it means to be made in the likeness of God, we need to understand who God is. We need to understand who God is at his very being, to have that full understanding. The more we know about God and man, and the more similarities we will begin to see. If you want to know what it means to be made in the image of God, you need to know who God is. In order to know who God is, you actually need to spend time in his word and in prayer. It's not just something that I can go walking down, coming out of the, I don't know, the top of my brain. God has specifically revealed himself in his word to us. The more we understand what the Bible means when it says that we are created in the image of God, the more we will understand. So when people look at Caleb, my son, when they look at him, uh, they often might say, wow, he looks like you. I hope so, because he's my son. My son isn't identical to me, though. But he is like me in many ways. He, we see this even in the beginning in Genesis 5, verse 3. In Genesis 5, verse 3, it says this, When Adam had lived 130 years, so think about that one for a second, 130 years, and now you're having a baby? Like, come on. 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. You know, the older I get, the more I learn that, too, sometimes to my chagrin, that I'm very similar to my own father right? Because I'm his son. My son is mine. 
we are in the same likeness. It doesn't mean we're identical. I'm way better looking than my dad. But it means that we show similarities. I am in his likeness. Seth wasn't identical to Adam, but he was like him in many ways, as a son is like his dad. Genesis 5 verse 3 just means that Seth was like Adam. It doesn't specify any specific number of ways in which Seth was like Adam. If the text actually did that, we'd be in a lot of trouble. It'd be really restrictive. Imagine if, if we would assert that one of our or another characteristics determined the way in which Seth was in Adam's image and likeness. Just imagine. Was it his brown eyes? Or his curly hair? Perhaps it was his athletic abilities, or his serious disposition, or even his quick temper. That would be absolutely ridiculous, right? Because what if Seth didn't actually exhibit one of those? Maybe he had straight hair and not curly hair. Oh, he's not in the likeness of Adam. Caleb is blonde. I'm a redhead. It'd be like saying my son isn't like me because he doesn't have red hair. It is evident that every way, in every way, in which Seth was like Adam would be a part of his likeness to Adam. That's what it means that Seth was in the image of Adam. When we think about it this way, in the same way, every way in which you are like God is part of his being in the image and likeness of God. It's, it's hard to come and kind of give a definition and, and, and say, well, what, how, how are we, how do we look like uh, the likeness of Adam or God, sorry? In what way do we reflect him? But if we just list things, what if we miss something? But as we continue to think about this, we are created in the image of God for his glory. But look around you. Is that how you see it now? Is the world around you good? As God says, as he looks at his creation in Genesis 1 and 2, something happened. We were created in the image of God. We were created in the image of God for his glory. But something happened. And that's when Genesis 3 comes around. In Genesis 3, we see clearly that a guy named Adam and a woman named Eve decided to do things their own way. They thought they could do something better. They disobeyed God. Pride entered in. They wanted to be like God. And at that moment of disobedience, sin permeated humanity like a cancer, like a poison, and it affected everything. Which brings us to this next thing. What do we believe about sin? I love this quote by a pastor named Mark Bolmore, and it says this, The chief end of man is to glorify God. The chief temptation of man is to glorify self. Sin is treason against our creator in whom we have been created in his image. Sin ruined the purpose and that significance. Sin causes us to take what is due to God and God alone and gives it to something or someone else. 
It's when we start elevating the gift above the giver of gifts, as John Piper would say. At the end of it, this is, a, this is about a heart of worship. No longer do we worship God, but we seek to worship other lesser things. It could be anything. It could be your family. It could be your kids. Your, you think your kids are going to be the next Wayne Gretzky, so you, 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 you spend all of your time and money and resources going to hockey. I hate to break it to you, but it's not going to happen. Hockey's fine. Just keep it where it should be. Right? Whatever it could be. Food. Exercising. <laughs> There's attention. It could be anything. It is a heart of a worship problem. We have taken glory that is due to him and given it to something or someone else. We have spat in the very face of the Almighty, the very God that shows he is immutable, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God. That is what sin is. Sin is treason. We have given glory to something else. If we were created to bring glory to God and sin causes us to give glory to other things, do you think you can ever feel significant or like your life is being fulfilled? If you continue to seek after that sin, you can't. Someone comes to me and says, oh, the Bible's full of rules. I just don't like it. I want to live whatever way I want. Well, I hate to break it to you. According to the word of God, you will never be fulfilled. Never. Sin is treason. In Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. This is called total depravity. With sin, the image of God is distorted. No longer are we fully like God or represent him. As sinners, we are no longer bringing glory to God. Sin distorts what we were created for. That is why the Bible is clear on what it looks like to distort that. If you are to follow these things, like in Galatians 5, verse 19 to 21, it gives sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of rage, rivalries, dissension, division. God help the church that encourages those things. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and all these things. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is why Ecclesiastes 7.29 says what it says. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. So we, we have taken what God has created and distorted it to our own. We were created to bring glory to God, but we have distorted to bring glory to ourselves. We have become even worshipers of it. And this is what sin is. We're all idolaters. We have chosen to worship something else. If it be sexuality or the practicings of things outside of what God desires, if it is elevating the gifts above the giver of the gifts, humanity's sin becoming guilty before God, resulting in total depravity, thereby incurring a physical and a spiritual death. You may ask yourself, well, what is an idol? And here's a great little definition. An idol is anything or anyone without which you can't be happy and fulfilled. Take it away. Take whatever it is. Take it away from you. Are you still happy and fulfilled? 
If I were to walk out of here and suddenly lose my family, would I still be fulfilled? I'd be heartbroken. Don't get me wrong, there's a very big difference. To lose someone is heartbreaking. But do I desire them more than God? Do I give them more worship than God? My abilities to speak. I thought about this the other day for some reason because my mind, I'm just morbid sometimes. I'm like, what if... I suddenly couldn't see. How, how, how could I preach? How could I, I don't know, see my kids grow up? How could I, how could I? It's anything or anyone with which you can't be happy and fulfilled. So by that definition, what is an idol? It could be your youthfulness, If anything, I'm realizing that that goes away quite quickly. It could be your money. It could be your job. It could be your spouse. It could be your children. It could be that new TV you bought with a new TV show out that you just have to watch. Whatever is that thing or person that you just can't wait to get back to, that pole that you would give up anything for. See, sin diminishes what we were created for. It, it not only distorts the image of God in us, but now we can't do what we were created to do. We seek after lesser things. We give glory to other things and worship to other things instead of the one who deserves all things. Our hearts are tuned to worship idols. And we have to ask, can humanity even still be like God and represent him? Which is a great question, right? If the world is so bad. In Genesis 9, verse 6 says this. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So even though we are sinful, there is still enough likeness to God remaining in us that to murder another person is to attack the part of creation that most resembles God. By attacking the image of God, it shows an attempt or desire to attack him. James 3, 9 talks about that we were made in the likeness of God. This is why, as Christians, we can't stand for things like euthanasia or abortion. It's why we seek to elevate the suffer- alleviate the suffering of those around us. It's why we seek all people, we seek, we seek to do good to all people and, 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 th- and understand that they are all equal before God. Not because the world tells us, but because they are made in the image of God from conception to death. But we have sinned. And our moral purity has been lost and, his sinful, and our sinful character uh, certainly does not reflect uh, God's holiness all the time. This is reflected in history. This is reflected in our society now. Our identity is no longer found in Christ. We're not even seeking to do that. And the church is, it's, it's, the world is seeped into the church so much that our identity is no longer found in Christ, but we seek to find our identity based upon other things, like what we do, or who we are, or our gender, or our sexuality. If someone comes to me and says, what do you do about... You know, what, what, what do you do about a Christian, a Christian who is a homosexual might be the question. My first question back to them is, why is that person identifying by that? 
If you are in Christ, you are a Christian. You are saved by God's amazing grace. You may struggle with those sins. We could talk about that. But that is not who you are. Um, I could struggle with gluttony. I'm not going to walk along with a label on my head saying glut, gluttonous. This shows how we see this. It shows in how we take what God, what God calls sin and we actually switch it to heroism. Oh, that individual is such a hero. This is shown more blatant in how we treat sex and sexuality. Our intellect is corrupted by falsehoods and misunderstandings. Even to that, what we think is logical isn't. Our speech no longer continually glorifies God. Our relationships are often governed by selfish rather than love, and and so forth. We always think about what we are, who we are, and, and, and what we are not getting in a relationship rather than see how Christ relates to us. Humanity is still in the image of God in every respect of life, but some parts of that image are distorted and lost. It's important to understand who we are in Christ, that we are, that God created us in his image for his glory, but that sin distorts that image, which brings us to this next point of what do we do now? What do we believe about salvation? How do we get back to what it was like before creation, before sin entered in. Because there is hope, as Pastor Matt was talking about last week. There is hope. Even with our sin, even though our sin has distorted or lost our, 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 our way of reflecting the very image of God in many ways, it doesn't end there. It's not ended with a hopeless note. Through the redemption of Jesus Christ, we can grow into more and more the likeness of God. God has redeemed us so that we might be conformed into the image of his Son. We believe that salvation is by the sovereign electing grace of God, that by the appointment of the Father, Christ voluntarily suffered a victorious, uh, proportionately death. That justification is by faith alone in that all-sufficient sacrifice and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And those whom God had effectually called shall be divinely preserved and finally perfected in the image of the Lord. This is what the gospel is talking about. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 15. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. All of this, what do we believe about salvation starts here. Christ died for our sins and he rose again. Jesus, the long-promised Messiah, born of the Virgin Mary and lived a sinless life, who died for us, both both fully human and fully God, was put to death on a Roman cross. He really did die, folks. He really did. But he died for, in place of, in place of of us. Christ died a, a substitutionary death. He was dying in the place of or for someone else. For our sins. 
for our sins. All of us were born with an inclination to sin, and all of us have sinned in real time. And God told the first Adam that if he sinned, he would surely die. The penalty for sin is death. The message of the gospel is that Jesus came to die in our place. He took our sins on himself and suffered the punishment of God in our place. But it doesn't end there because he, three days later, he rose again, which was God's giant stamp of approval on the sacrifice that was paid. We follow up with these promises, like in John 3, 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Or in Romans 10, verse 9, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But let me ask, what does it mean? What do you, Pastor, what do you mean by believe? What does it mean to believe? It means to have faith. Well, what does faith mean? Right? We could keep asking these questions all day long. Faith is a wholehearted trust that God will keep his promises in the gospel. That's what faith is. Faith is leaning into the promises of God. Faith trusts God. It trusts his character. It trusts his love. And so it leans on the promise of the gospel and nothing else. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. If you're struggling with your faith, you need to know the one whom your faith is in. If you're doubting God's promises, start from Genesis and go all the way to Revelation and see how God has always kept his promises. Always. Not ever letting it slip. See how he has remained faithful even when we have not. He keeps his promises. And faith is a wholehearted trust that God will keep his promises in the gospel. When someone comes to me and says, hey, pastor, why do we keep talking about the gospel? That's why. Because we need to be reminded every week of the promises that we have in Jesus Christ. Real faith leans and depends and follows and works. And salvation comes with belief, but also repentance. And you're like, well, pastor, what does repentance mean? Repentance is being convicted by the Holy Spirit of the sinfulness of our sin. Not the badness of our deeds. But the sinfulness of our sin the treachery of our hearts towards God. We have sinned against him, and we stand before him condemned. If salvation didn't come with it a change of life, change of desire, conformity into the image of God, then it's not salvation. We have been called out of one kingdom, and we've been brought into another. We are a new creation. It's a new, deepest loyalty that is within our hearts. No longer are we treasonous, but are seeking to be loyal to the one who created us, the one who created us in his own image. Through Christ, things are beginning to be restored. And I understand that life is not perfect. Because I'm not, you're not, 
You're just as bad as I am in different ways. I understand that. I understand that we're still messy. I understand that we're, we're not quite there yet. But we are saved by God's grace, and we're growing into that image. We're continuing to seek to reflect his image more and more every day. And I don't get it right every day. But that's why there's something called sanctification. And sanctification isn't a straight line. It's a big, whirly tornado. But every day, I repent. And every day, I ask, God, help me to grow in the grace and the knowledge of you. Help me to lean into the promises of the good news of Jesus Christ. Help me. Because true repentance is reflective in our life. It is a conformity into the image of God. Because repentance means hating what we formerly loved and served, our idols, and turning away from them. Repentance means turning to love God, whom we formerly hated, and serve him instead. It's a new, deepest loyalty of the heart. Real repentance is a new worship. You ever think about that? Repentance being tied to worship? I haven't until I read a book on it. It looks like a changed life, but the changed behavior results from a change of worship, not the other way around. The outcome of true repentance is now seeking to be what we were created for. And what I, I find encouraging that even though our image of God has been distorted or lost in some way, that through the redemption of Jesus Christ, we can grow into more and more of that likeness. Colossians 3, verse, 20, or verse 10 says, And have put on the new self, he says, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. It's beautiful, isn't it? Romans 8, 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The goal of which God has redeemed us is that we might be conformed to the image of his Son. That means to be exactly, at, or seeking to be as Christ is, in his, who, all who he is, including his moral character, and who we are. Everything will be back to what it will be intended for one day. And on that day, that's when we will be glorified. Where God will finally remove all traces of sin from every Christian. I long for that so badly. There are days I'm so tired of sinning. And I just like, God, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But on that final day, if Jesus comes back or I go to be with him, he will remove all trace of sin from every Christian and give each of us a resurrected body standing before the throne of God, worshiping for him for eternity. Folks, if you hate being in church, you're not going to like being in heaven. I'll tell you that right now. Right? If you don't like gathering with the people of God, if you don't like singing the songs, if you don't like hearing the word of God preached or read or sung, I get stylistic things. I understand those things, right? 
I'm a young guy still. I have different preferences too. But I still love it. So what do we do with all this? Think about what we believe as a church. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? What does, it, what does that mean? What has sin done to that? But what has Christ done in return? It would be really good for us to think about our likeness to God more often. It, would, it will probably amaze us to think that when the creator of the universe wanted to create something in his image, something more like himself than all the rest of creation, he made you and me. Think about this. Think about what this helps you to see. And you can see the ramifications of detaching ourselves from understanding what what it means to be made in the image of God. Our world is seeking to find image in a whole sorts of other things, and they will never, ever, ever find satisfaction in that. This does not give you profound sense of dignity and significance as we reflect on the excellence of all that all of the rest of God's creation? Have you ever stared up at the night sky, gone out of the city? You have to get out of the city and looked up and saw the stars. Have you ever watched, I don't know, National Geographic Channel and seen all the cool creatures that God created? You ever walk through the forest and seen the, the world of plants and animals? Think about even the angels and how remarkable and magnificent they are. But we are more like our creator than any of these things. We are the culmination of God's infinitely wise and skillful work of creation. Even though sin has greatly marred that likeness, we nonetheless now reflect much of it and shall even more as we grow in the likeness of Christ. Humanity was created in the image of God for his glory. And even though sin distorts that image, it is through faith in Jesus Christ that that image is being restored. So what do we do with all this? Every, every single human being, no matter how much of the image of God is marred by sin or illness or weakness or age or any other disability, still has the status of being in God's image and therefore must be treated with the dignity and respect that is due to God's image bearer. Does that not have a massive implications on how we treat others? It means that people of every race deserve equal dignity and rights. So how dare we think we are better than any other based on our levels of melanin? How dare we? It means that elderly people and those who are seriously ill, the mentally and physically handicapped, the children that are are unborn deserve full protection and honor as human beings. This is why porn is sinful. Because it takes an individual and it turns them into an object, an object of our worship, by the way. We're not even worshiping the individual, worshiping the feeling I get from it. Because it takes one that is created in the image of God, one who's significant, one who's created in his image, one of God's creations, 
one who is made in his likeness and turns him into an object. Humanity is created in the image of God, and that means that you and I are like God and represent God. Our world increasingly now, more than in a long time, have denied our unique status in creation as God's only image bearers. And because of that, we have begun to, 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 to lower the value of human life. The thing that boggles my mind is that we have almost, we're okay with killing people in our hospitals, but we're going to uh, give our money and our time to animal rights. I understand that we should treat animals as part of God's creation well. I understand that. But they're not made in the image of God. They're not. Our world has increasingly done that and has devalued life. The outcome is that we will tend to see humans as merely a higher form of an animal and will begin to treat others as such. Sometimes we think we've arrived somehow. You know, there's been huge pushes for for civil rights, and I praise God for those things. I do. I praise God. But somehow, we've all, at the same time, somehow devalued human life altogether. And I don't quite understand how it happened. We were made in the image of God. Humanity was created in the image of God for his glory. And even though sin distorts that image, it is through faith in Jesus Christ that the image is being restored. For those of us who are disciples of Jesus Christ, who are seeking to make disciples of Jesus Christ, that means as we leave this place, we treat people as image bearers. So we don't see the homeless person on the corner and just as a pain in the bum. And why are they everywhere? But we should, our hearts should turn as we see the image of God being treated like that. When we see elderly shoved into rooms and not taken care of our hearts should turn because of that when we see the unborn child being cut up and diced up into little pieces our hearts should turn for that when we see people who feel like they're so hopeless that there's no other way to get out and they have to they go to the doctor and say doctor i want lethal injection so i can die my heart should turn for that because we were created in the image of god And we were created to glorify him. And even though sin distorts that, through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ, there is a restoration that happens. Let us continue to worship our awesome God. Father God, we just thank you for who you are and what you have done for us. Lord, we pray that uh, we would aim to glorify you in everything. Uh, God, we are made in your image. I pray that we would be effective image bearers of Christ wherever we go. That we, reflect, we would, that we would reflect Christ wherever we are. That we would share the hope of Jesus Christ. That you would be honored and glorified. Lord, I pray as we worship you, that we become more aware of who you are and what you have done for us. And amen.